Oh yeah. Bay vibes with a whole lot of laughs. Kicking knowledge on a new podcast. Dad vibes, but we run it with class. Listen up, show love, homie. It's the second half. Yeah, it's the second half. Hey, it's the second half. Kicking knowledge on a new podcast. Listen up, show love, homie. It's the second half. Can't fuck with them. Classic. All right, shall we? We, we shall. shall. We shall. Well, all right, all right, all right. In my Matthew McConaughey voice, uh, welcome back, welcome back, everyone, to the second half. This is your boy Launchpad, aka D Nice, aka Snapalicious. Um, I'm joined today by our fellow co-hosts. Uh, who do we have here? Yeah, right, Boogie here. By the way, you only get one AKA. Right? There has to be a limit on AKAs. No, no. Yeah, didn't you give me shit for doing that in the last episode? I gave you shit because you introduced yourself as your AKA. No, we yeah, listened to it. <laughs> I didn't say. I didn't lead off with an AKA. No, I just said Demon Barber, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, AKA but that's Harold. The, that's and then the I AKA. said AKA. You said, you said AKA. Haircuts Harold. by Harold. So you, you led <laughs> with your AKA. I didn't lead with my AKA. Your, your AKA is Sweeney Todd. Come on, bro. Uh, I thought you said I, I led with AKA Sweeney Todd, but all right, whatever. And that's Sweeney Todd. Yeah, again, leading with the AKA. Uh, but uh, most Putting my Im- foot in my mouth. But most importantly, um, it's a pleasure, it's an honor. I'm very grateful to have uh, our guest, um, and also a good friend, I would say. And also, uh, he was my loan agent. So that's not the reason he's a good friend. But given the rate that I got, eh, it improved <laughs> the odds. Um, we're joined by Matt Barba. Um, so quick bio on Matt before you say hello. Matt is a Bay Area native, although his El Dorado Hills zip code wouldn't tell you that today. Uh, went to Monta Vista High School. Bob Myers went to Monta Vista High School. Um, he has 10 years experience as a lending consultant, mortgage broker. Uh, his passion is to help clients establish and accumulate equity through real estate that can last a lifetime. Uh, he's broker as well as part owner of First Choice Mortgage. Uh, as I mentioned, recently moved to the Sacramento area. Um, and then also played lacrosse when he was uh, a wee youngin, but now teaches lacrosse for, uh, for uh, what, under eight Youth, so uh, again, pleasure to, to welcome you, Matt. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely, it's an honor. Matt. It's an honor. Welcome, I'm Matt. excited. Thanks for having me. Did I miss anything there? In terms no, of that's a good bio. Solid. Bio? Yeah. Good. Thank you. Awesome. You're welcome. The only thing questionable there was the question mark uh, after "good friend," but you know <laughs> that's standard. Yeah, I think I think if you're good friends, you always. Question. You question your good question. It's your okay good to question your good friend if it's one-sided. Well, especially those who give you a nickname that you don't like. Yeah, right. right. But anyhow, um, let's jump into you, Matt. Um, I'd love to hear about you know what you do for a living, um, but really maybe just tell us tell us how you got started. Um, you know, tell us that story, that journey. Yeah. So right now I'm a mortgage broker with First Choice Mortgage. I've been with this uh, company for three years, started in 2014 as a mortgage banker, Um, spent five years there, and then slowly transitioned into the broker side of the business. Yeah. Awesome. Maybe for for those who aren't familiar with that business, and, you know, I'm sure I only found out about it when I bought a home, you know, uh, half a dozen years ago. So, you know, like explain what that is explain what you do today like daily what do you do and kind of what's your passion yeah so i mean the quickest way to to sum it up is that not only do we like pre-approve and qualify new home buyers or those who want to refinance for a property but our job is to shop their mortgage so we're currently approved with 55 different mortgage companies clients come to us one time one credit report and we shop all 55 our job is to get them the best rate with the best lender that would fit them personally, um, and we assign it to that bank, and we handle all the communication, all the paperwork for them. It doesn't cost them anything extra. 
Um, I found the broker model was the most transparent way to provide a mortgage. You can go credit union, you can go bank or broker. Um, but as a broker, it's the most transparent way to shop and provide that mortgage. Why is that? Just because we get to see the, the marketplace. Versus if you're a bank or a credit union, you have to assign what the in-house product is. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. It's the biggest difference. So another way to look at it, you're going to bat you know, for your client. Yeah, we get to see like... You know, we don't get we get to see what the market has to offer versus like what if you work for a bank or credit union, what like your vice president would say you have to give. Right. So it's just the biggest difference. Yeah, that's a big difference. Though. It's a huge difference. So you're looking out for. The yeah. Buyer. So it's a little we are taking one step further. We're licensed by the Department of Real Estate, which makes us a fiduciary. So we are looking out for their best interest and getting them the best we can get. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a little different. So tell us, Matt, what are, we are in 2023 now, we are fresh right out of the pandemic. What are some challenges that you've experienced through that time of the pandemic? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest challenge was connecting with our clients. Before, we used to go to every signing. We used to meet them in the office. Uh, sometimes they would come in and use our computers. You know, if they worked at a job that they weren't sitting in front of a computer all day, they could come in, download their docs, get into us quickly. Um, the biggest challenge was that connection piece. Mm. Obviously, like Zoom played a big part of that. We started doing all our consultations by Zoom. Um, relying more on technology with Dropbox and and new software that would help you know help get them the paperwork we needed faster. Did that make it easier or did it make yeah. it harder? It made it easier. I'd say it made it easier for those with like white collar jobs who were sitting in front of a computer all day. It definitely made it harder for those who maybe don't even have a computer. Hmm. Right? So that it definitely depends on the client. But um I'd say overall, it, it probably made it harder for some people to obtain the mortgage they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. How did that impact you directly in terms of finding clients and or working with existing clients who you know, might not be familiar with though, that type of technology? Um, yeah. We, like, we were doing like, uh, what is it, document drop-off. You know, like sometimes they would, I, would, I remember meeting a lady in like a Castro Valley parking lot. Just hand me a file, took it back to my office, scanned it, uploaded it for her. So we would like make exceptions like that and just try to meet them where they're at um, or have them mail us stuff for them and upload it that way. Yeah. Um, one thing we did is kind of cool. We can overnight them a folder to then they can overnight it back. So we prepaid all the packaging. And yeah. So, yeah, there's there's definitely workarounds for sure. Almost sounds like some of that is going kind of. Not back to the stone ages, but like going back in time to like the old school <laughs> method of like working with people, right? You yeah. Know, just going that extra mile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In some cases, yeah, you had to do that. I mean, the other part was like we used to go to every signing, right? So every time they signed loan docs, we'd be in there. There'd be three or four people in a room signing together. Now it was like every notary had to be like sent to their house and masked up. And so coming out of that, We've kind of gone back to normal, so it's it's a little bit easier to kind of like get loans done, meet people in person, see your clients. Yeah, that's good to hear. So that part of it for you know for people buying homes, um, you don't quite understand how intricate that process is, and it's critical. Of course, you play a critical role, so does the realtor. But can you tell us some success stories that you've experienced? Just some. You know, maybe maybe some couples that you, or I say couples, but some families that you really had to pull some strings for, or you know, do a little extra work for. Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple that definitely stick out that like almost bring you to tears. Like we had a uh, close client, um, now friend, but he had a motorcycle accident, out of work for six months, racked up a ton of credit card debt, got back to work, right. Um, we literally did like a cash out refinance for him, right? Like literally like this, we closed like December 20th. Mm-hmm. So he could like, not only do we save him money, 
on his home uh, on his home mortgage, but we were able to pay off all of his debt. So he was like, just like that sense of relief coming out of a big accident, finally getting back to work, but like, you're just like chipping away at the debt that's not really going anywhere. And then like being able to like relieve him. And he was like, dude, you saved like our Christmas. Like, you know, we're saving 500 bucks a month. We did debt free. Those stories are super cool because people think like cash out refi. They think like. Um, you're going to go, like, buy a boat. I was literally just going to say, you go buy a boat. <laughs> yeah, boat or toys or stuff like that. But there's times where, like, you're truly bailing people out. Yeah. Um, that stuff is cool. Um, we always love, like, the, the fixed mindset, like, first-time home buyer who doesn't think they can qualify and their parents, like, force them to talk to us. And lo and behold, like, everything's great, right? They have, like next to no debt they qualify they might need a little help with the down payment there's down payment assistance programs out there there's a lot of family uh in the bay area we see a lot of gifts from family members mm-hmm. or even withdrawing from your 401k is like a, as a small uh down payment um so yeah like showing people that come in with like a fixed mindset of just like i qualify for nothing but i was told to talk to you and you're like actually you can buy like a five hundred fifty thousand dollar house and they're like oh but they've never had that financial education, and it wasn't taught at home, right? So they feel forced to talk to us, and then, like, they're kind of relieved when we break everything down. Like, here's your monthly payment. Here's how much money we need to buy the house. Um, and we show them everything. Like, here's your credit score. Yeah. Here's how much monthly debt you have. So it kind of gives them – it might be, for some people, their first time talking to someone in finance about their personal situation. I would say for a lot of people – I mean, you don't teach it in school. You never taught this at home. What does that feel like for you to be that person, you know, opening up their eyes to home ownership? That's probably the best part of the job because I wasn't taught this stuff at home, right? I remember my dad, when I wanted to buy a car, he's like, just go to the bank. Like, go to the bank and do what? Yeah. Like, what what am I even asking for, you know? So there's still, like, I feel like um, some households where it's like, just go talk to someone, but not me, right? So it is cool to like provide that education and that handholding. Um, those are the most grateful clients, and it's reciprocal. Like we like to provide the service, um, and I think it's also eye opening for them to see like, okay, what if I want to buy a, you know, what if I want to take this five fifty and go to a million in ten years? How would I do that? Mm-hmm. And you start you know walking them through those steps too. Yeah, awesome. Touch a little bit on that that gap, that education gap. Um, like, how did you learn about that? Like, do you have mentors or people who kind of taught you, you know, walked you through, um, you know, how it is you can accomplish and build, you know, equity or build wealth through home ownership? The value of actually owning a home. Mm-hmm. Like, where did you learn? Where did you learn that? Number one, and then number two, um, you know, where where, where it, you know, where can that gap be best bridged? Right, um, or is that like, do you think that has to come from the brokers or? Yeah. So um, I'll answer the first question. Yeah. Uh, I kind of fell into it. I I was working here at, it was Club Sport, I think it's Bay Club now, mm-hmm. as a restaurant manager. I saw the ceiling pretty quickly, like in hospitality. I had a friend who got into real estate. Uh, he kind of pushed me like, and he was valet. So I was like, dude, if you're a valet getting a real estate license, like I certainly can figure it out. So got my real estate license, ended up interning for a commercial uh, real estate company in the city for two years. They sold multifamily. Um, so anything like five units and up apartment buildings. Luckily, I had two great mentors who kind of like that was the first time where I really saw. I think they, I was assisting a, uh, one of them who was helping a client buy a. 16 unit building in Walnut Creek for like $4 million. Wow. And I was like, who has this much money? Mm-hmm. I was thinking I was like 24, 25 learning this stuff. And I was like, who has this much money? And so one of my mentors was like, no, man, he started with a duplex. He started with a duplex like six years ago. And every two years he would trade up, right? He would just double, double, double. Um, and that was kind of the light bulb where I was like, oh, okay. So they taught me a lot about real estate, passive income, apartment buildings, how to generate income. Uh, two years after that, I kind of got introduced to finance. Um, 
had a great mentor, Ryan Holford at a CMG, just like a old school loan broker. Um, and he's the one who's like, you know, broke down finances, had a package, uh, a loan together. I didn't even know what docs were required. Mm-hmm. And that's why I originally came over to the finances. Like I'm in real estate, but I know nothing about the loan side. Like it won't hurt my career if I get to know it. And so I did and I suck with it. So eight years in, um, but just seeing like you see all types of finances now, right? Credit reports, how that works, how to get a good credit score, what makes a bad credit score, uh, different income types. I mean, that's that's the hard part on the loan side is there's so many different ways people get compensated for their work. So you described a lot of aspects of the finance industry. I've worked in the space, but for folks who, you know, maybe they drive a boat for a living, <laughs> Or they do valet, like that's probably super daunting. And you know, making the decision to buy a home and to take out a loan, it's probably the biggest decision most people make yeah. in their lives, right? Um, so maybe talk to us a little bit about, um, I won't say stigma, but I'll say like misconceptions, right? Like, you know, for me, uh, let me just share a story. For me, um, you know, taking out, um, yeah. I, I was blessed in my family to actually my my family um, home was passed down through generations. But because of different work that I did, you know, the income that I made over over my early part of the career, like owning a home seemed like such a lofty, like massive investment that I could never afford, right? But now, fast forward into like the late '90s, 2000s, like people were going in with three percent down, no money down, right? And then that that changed over time. Two. So again, going back to how big of a investment it is, um, you know, what are some of the things that people need to know if they're buying a home for the first time that is achievable? Like, what are some of the core principles that you try to share and educate on? So, yeah. So this is pretty common when you talk to someone in like the finance or loan industry. There's really four things we look at: your credit, so how much debt, monthly debt you carry, and what your credit score is. Right. Credit score will help determine your interest rate, uh, your income, gross income, if you're like salary or hourly net income, if you're self-employed. Uh, so credit income and assets, assets, meaning like how much cash do you have available, down payment, stocks, count, uh, money market, checking savings. Right. The fourth is property, which comes after you've been pre-approved. But those three things are what we really look at to determine how much you can afford on a monthly basis. So as long as you kind of know that's what we're going to be talking about and that's what we're going to be looking at, then you can get a framework of like how a loan officer or mortgage broker is going to talk to you. But those are the three things that we just we look at right away. What, what programs do you have in place or, or does First Choice Mortgage have programs in place for people that don't immediately qualify? If they don't immediately qualify, then we, we give them like a roadmap. Like it's usually one of those three things are missing, right? The credit score is either not high enough to qualify for the program, or maybe they're carrying too much debt. Maybe, especially in the Bay Area, it's like the job you chose just isn't paying enough, mm. right? Um, we had one client; she she had two jobs, and she kept two jobs for three years to qualify. And we stayed with her like every step of the way. And that was just because she was constantly shopping. She was she was hungry. She knew what she wanted. She ended up buying in Vallejo last year for like four fifty, mm-hmm. nice like three one. You know, she was twenty seven, mm-hmm. but she worked at Macy's down here like through the holidays, right? And she kept her full time banking job. Yeah. So sometimes it does take a little bit of a sacrifice. I don't know how many people, let's just say like young adults, are willing to work two jobs to get that house, right? That, to me, was pretty rare. But sometimes it's just like the job you picked initially it just isn't enough, especially especially around here. Sure. But that's also amazing that you stuck with her for three years. I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't know what her background is, but just to have some solidarity helping her walk through that process, I'm sure that was significant. Yeah, it's cool because you build a real relationship, right? So then it's like um, when we talk now, it's like genuine friendship, mm-hmm. right? And... She just knew what she wanted. She was determined to like, again, we told her like, you have to keep this second job. It's the only way it'll work. And she did it. 
I think most people would quit. Yeah. At least the second job, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if it's like Macy's, seasonal, part-time. You probably pick your hours. And I'm like, no, you need this many hours each month to do it. She did it. Yeah. Did she drop it after she got the house? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. But, uh, I mean, yeah, that, that, there's a lot to see about her motivation and her persistence. But I think a lot of that, though, is because you did give her that roadmap. Yeah. You know, you gave her yeah. the end goal. Yeah. So to answer your question, uh, yeah, we give roadmap. If you don't qualify, you get a roadmap. If it's just like typically, if it's just one thing, we can typically fix it. So if it's credit score, we can actually do simulations to figure out what we need to do on your credit to get you the score. If it's down payment, we look at down payment assistance programs. Income, it's like sometimes we have to say, it's like, you need a new job. Like, unfortunately. Um, that blunt just like. It's just like the income for what you want, it's just not enough, right? Yeah. And so you see that a lot with government jobs, unfortunately. Like government jobs are paying like fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 a year. Not enough in the bay to get you what you want, or to get you even like close. Yeah. Wow. Is is uh, w- working in the bay, having grown up in the business in the bay. What are what are the differences that you see now that you're in Eldorado Hills? Because I'm these are two different communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? I mean, the the median income in the bay is hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, do you? Can you talk us through that? Just the differences in between Bay Area real estate versus up in Sacramento? Yeah. I can only like speak. So from my experience personally is um, the Bay Area is interesting because a lot of the real estate that I've seen across my desk has been purchased by someone in tech, right? So they're getting performance bonuses. They're getting restricted stock. And restricted stock is pretty powerful because not only does it count as income, um, but then when they cash it out, then it's more funds available for that uh, down payment, right? So we see a lot of purchases in the Bay, um, tech employees with like those stock benefits. Sacramento, I, I haven't seen that yet. Hmm. Um, I haven't seen that yet. I've seen more low down payments, like 5%, 10%, which is still pretty healthy. Um, but it hasn't come from stock. It's purely savings, gifts. 401k withdraws. Um, we're getting a lot more requests for down payment assistance because they have the income, they have the credit. It's just the savings, right? So we are seeing more down payment assistance programs. Down payment assistance programs works really well with like, let's say properties sub like 800, um, maybe even like 700. In the Bay Area, it's just like, it's mm-hmm. a little bit harder. Unless you're going to go for a condo, it's harder to go with a down. I don't think there's many down payment assistance programs that are going to help you reach that million dollar mark. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back to something, uh, or even just what you touched on, right? Like deciding between like single family versus like maybe going the condo route, yeah, or townhouse route, right? Yeah. Um, or recognizing that hey, as a you know, if my dream and my goal is to own a home, I might need to increase my income in some way or pay off some debt in some way, right? So it sounds like a lot of your work is like is real, uh, setting expectations and managing expectations versus goals. Um, so with that, there were two to three things that you would say are do's or don'ts when considering buying a home or a, you know, the biggest lesson for someone considering it, right? That chasing that dream. What, what would those be? The biggest lesson. What's your question? So, what what is the biggest piece of advice you would give someone who's considering buying their own their first home? Okay, um, I'm just going to speak from personal experience. Would be on your first one is to actually stretch a little bit because you're most likely if it's your first house and you're younger, your income's going to go up over time. Right. So therefore, you can probably afford it more over time. When you go to sell the property, it's when most of the expenses happen. Right. Your real estate commissions, your closing costs. So if you're in the property longer, you're delaying those costs, those selling costs. So for me personally, we outgrew our first house in like two years. Mm -hmm. 
right? We should have reached a little bit further for something a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. right? We didn't know. Where was that at? That was in San Ramon. It was a townhouse, 1,100 square feet. We bought it. We had one kid. When we moved, we had three, right? So yeah, that's pretty just, quick. Yeah, we outgrew it. You were doing it. a lot of work in that time, it sounds like, as well. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of loans. Yeah. Um, I meant the kids. But. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we should have reached a little bit further, um, just on like the size of the home, right? Because we probably, yeah, we could have afforded a bigger home over time. That's probably the, the biggest lesson. The second one, especially in California, is what I'm helping a lot of clients with right now, which is how to hold on to your first property and turn it into a rental, because there's a ton of tax breaks with rental property. They're treated like businesses, so you get a lot more tax breaks. In California, everyone's complaining about how much our income taxes are. Mm-hmm. A rental property or rental properties would help help offset those uh, taxes. Mm. So, um, again, my wife and I have been talking a lot lately. The, we regret selling our first house. Um, we sold it because it wouldn't have cash flowed, right? But if we took into the tax benefits... It would have made a huge dent. Right. Plus, like future appreciation, uh, loan pay down, like equity over time. Um, that to me is like one of the bigger lessons is like once you get in, like how to hold on to it. Mm-hmm. That kind of goes back to like the lesson you learned when you got into the business, which is a guy who was buying this, these $4 million properties, but who started with a duplex. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, touch on that a bit, just kind of building. You know the wealth aspect uh, of it. You know, like, what have you seen that's been, um, you know, just like really strong success stories that you've actually helped in terms of in terms of that? Um, I mean, the biggest one that comes to mind is like close friends of mine um, bought a house in 2016, Oakland Hills for like 650. Funky layout. Every room was on a different floor, like Montclair Hills, stretched to get in, like. Scraped every penny, ten percent down, bought the house. Three years later, it was worth nine hundred. Right? I mean, Bay Area appreciation is just insane. Mm-hmm. One, uh, two. We've had some crazy markets in the past mm-hmm. that kind of took us there. Did they follow your personal advice from that personal story you just shared? No, because they got divorced. Oh, mm-hmm. they got divorced and they sold it. Mm-hmm. But they each walked with one fifty. So they took sixty grand, mm-hmm. turned it into three hundred. Each walked with one fifty, and they each bought another property. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, by now, I think they're on their like fourth or fifth property. Nice. But all the funds have come from that original sixty thousand dollar investment. So no, they didn't hold on to these properties. But you can still see how over time, right? Real estate is a long term investment. I think people forget that. The long-term investment, that means more than five years, right? So the longer you hold it, the more equity you're going to gain. Sure. If you sell it, sure, you can take it somewhere else. You can always leverage against it in the future, so pulling money out of it through a home equity line of credit or a cash-out refinance. Put that into more property, pay off debt, fund college. Like, There's a lot you can do with the equity that I think um, you don't realize till you're in the home. Like, You don't realize what appreciation and equity feels like so you buy the home, you're sitting there, and then your neighbor sells for like ten thousand more than you, mm-hmm. and then the next guy sells for thirty thousand, right? And over time, it's like hundreds. But again, you don't know that feeling or those opportunities until you're in the until first you're there. One. But that, I mean, they kind of did follow your personal advice though, because they did stretch. And to kind of go back to that a bit, that's kind of counterintuitive to the immigrant mindset, because immigrants, you never like your parents tell you. You know, never reach for something that you can't get or that you don't have right now, right? So you're having to teach a different lesson here, but I completely agree with you because you're absolutely right. You know, all the benefits of home ownership you don't really realize until years later, and also the family is growing, the income is growing. But again, not something you're taught at home. Yeah. yeah. To piggyback on that, though, like, because what stood out to me the way you said it is like it's counterintuitive, right? Because, like, immigrant mindset or whatever you know generally prudently people are taught live within your means and even you were sharing a story of someone who needed to increase their income so they could buy the stream home 
But then on the flip side, if you can stretch and if you think of it as an investment, then the benefits will exponentially be far beyond your means. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a um, another lesson in there that I've learned uh, through my wife, which is like some people, the numbers don't matter. So when we bought our first property, I was obsessed with like based on the location in San Ramon, the property type. Like I was like, one day this is gonna be worth a million bucks. Like everything around us is already like one four, one five. She was just like, I don't care. I was like, What do you mean you don't care? Like buying this like it's like five hundred thousand dollar townhouse and I'm like, it's gonna be worth more in the future and she's like, I don't care. Like I want a safe place that like we can bring our kids home to, we're gonna have holidays and memories and we're gonna walk our kids to school and that was like a big slap in the face, not like in a rude or uh mean way but like oh there's people who don't care about the numbers or the finances it's like just a different mindset different mindset and she was right because like this was we bought because our landlord uh was going to renovate the property and then double the amount and like we had nowhere to go Mm -hmm. it's like we bought out of the time where like we were just one we had to and two was like that was probably our third or fourth apartment where like they raised the rent or they were changing something so she's like, I just want something stable. We're like, we know where we're going. We know what the payment is going to be. You know, at the time we had a 18 month old. So it was just like, just where our kids can just like have a normal like life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to like get that perspective is mm-hmm. finances play a big part of it, but there's a lot to be said about like the security, having your own place. Right. So is that what prompted the move out? to yeah spot on yeah my um my wife's sister lives in el dorado hills she's been there for six years we visited a couple times didn't think much of it and one time we were coming home and she was like i'd like to live here and like raise our kids here and i was like no way like everything i knew was in the east bay Mm -hmm. friends family work um i was like no way and this was like 2019 she like kept bringing it up and i was like nope like not gonna happen and then when COVID hit and I kind of realized like oh like no one expects to see me in person no one wants to see me in person I don't know for how long we can always move back um I can do my job entirely remote now and uh so I was like you know what if you want to move like here's your shot we were gone in like 45 days she like came up that weekend looked at like the four rentals that were available she like signed the lease we were up in like a month so it was quick so talk about that adjustment from here to to sac um still adjusting so it's two and a half years um i didn't know anything about the area or anyone i just knew her her sister my brother-in-law use google maps for everything still pretty much do mm-hmm. uh, even like grocery store and home like i didn't know how to get there we rented at first because we didn't know the area like we didn't know anything about the place which is weird and through covid too it's like you just were able to like go to the grocery store and go home right there wasn't a ton of like community outreach or meeting new people uh you know kids went to school with masks still so like no one was like eagerly friendly to like get to know you so we've had that all happen, I'd say, within the last 12 months. We've started wow. meeting new people, getting out. We don't need Google Maps as much. Um, definitely a cultural change, for sure. But when you have kids, it feels the same, right? You do the same. Go to school, park, snaps, coffee. Same routine. Same yeah. routine. Like, Is it starting to feel more like home or not yet? Uh, yes, but... We're spoiled. Like, our closest friends have also moved up. So we're super spoiled. Her best friend from high school moved up. My best friend from middle school happened to move close by. How much encouragement did you guys give them? (laughs) None. I mean, really, it was like some of of our friends who moved up, they would stop by. It's through COVID. So we'd like, you know, they'd come Mm -hmm. to the front of the house and talk through the car. Um, It's like, oh, we just dropped off a deposit check with the builder. Like, what? I wow. just thought you were coming to like say hi. That's cool. Um, that was a shock. Like we had two or three friends who just were like 
came up, visited, looked around again through COVID, didn't like do much research, dropped off a check with the builder and moved up like 12 months later. Yeah. So we're pretty spoiled. We've had about a dozen friends from high school or college that we know move up. Um, so the transition's been pretty easy. And then again, with kids, you've got sports, right? School activities. It's been it's been pretty easy. Yeah. And then what we've realized is most people from up there are from the Bay. It's mm-hmm. just a matter of like, did you move up a month ago or did you move up 20 years ago? Right. So most, like even our, our neighbors from Sunnyvale, um, like most people at our gym are from like the San Jose or South Bay area. They just moved up like, a, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's cool that your community moved up organically with you. But I will say my biggest takeaway from everything you just said is never give a woman open window. When you had said, <laughs> this is your chance, she True definitely that. ran with it. Oh, yeah. You are inviting some backlash there with that. <laughs> True statement, though. No, I, uh, I was shocked to see how fast we I was like, whoa, like we went up the next weekend. Um, it was tough, too, like with COVID to like see a rental, you know, like one person in at a time. Um you know, we we owned two for like four years. We didn't know what the rental process was like, and mm-hmm. like you know, they really vet your income. And so, yeah. Can, on that note, though, can you talk about the adjustment from the from different perspectives? So, from your wife's perspective, from the kids' perspective, and then maybe from your perspective, being the East Bay native, yeah, and also how it impacted your career. Yeah, there's a, it's kind of funny, there's a, I think it's a clip on Instagram, where it's like Russ being interviewed by like Jay Shetty, mm-hmm. he's like, what's the best advice you've been given? And what is, I think he says something to the effect like, uh, what if it's better than you thought, right? And that's how we feel now, it's like, it's way better than we thought, It it definitely opened our minds up to like, meeting, like opening your network or opening your family, like some of my son's new friends are like super close, right? So you have new friends, new business partners. Um, it's the area is very outdoorsy lifestyle. Like we didn't realize it's like a big lake town. So like it's not for me, it was weird to see like boats and trucks everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now it's like we have paddle boards, right? We have stand up paddle boards. We do that on Friday nights when in the summer. Uh, with the kids there's mountain biking fishing like at your fingertips i'm talking like five five minutes they stock all the like local ponds with fish for the kids to fish in um so that lifestyle is pretty cool like we didn't realize how much like we would enjoy doing that um these aren't things that you typically did out here when you were living in the things that we knew had to do like but because it like takes a car ride, we wouldn't yeah. do it. The right? access wasn't immediate. No, the access here is like the the lake is ten minutes like to the marina and on the water. Um, there's an archery range that's like world class up there that is packed with people every day. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing. The sports are super competitive, so you've got like you know comp soccer, comp lacrosse, um, football, the whole bit. So. For me, it was like a big lifestyle change, like <clears throat> culturally. Um, but I'd say like kids and wife truly embraced it and just ran with it. Yeah. yeah. It's hard It's hard not to. From my friends that are up there, when we talk about it, you bring up all the the sports aspect of it. I mean, it's just so accessible. Mm-hmm. It's everything at your fingertips, everything's within arm's reach. I mean, um, I've, I've, got a, I've got one friend who's recently got into um, – electric scooters yeah so now he has like this electric scooter group and they're ramping up these scooters to like 35 miles per hour and i'm like you could do that he's like you should see us bro <laughs> is that street is that street legal <laughs> yeah. uh you know i don't i don't know but they do yeah. it there's like a a group of you know 40 something dads That's that right. uh are riding around his neighborhood doing that stuff but yeah it, it's hard to resist that that draw to to, to that area I mean, Elder Rod hills is when it's beautiful but as we discussed earlier, it's also like a gateway up north and what, an hour and 15 minutes to Tahoe probably? Yeah. Through COVID, we were um, we were going skiing at Sierra and we'd be, so my, they, my son had like half days. So every Friday we would go up 
uh, we'd be at Sierra at hour 15. Yeah. And he would be like, he'd be at his lesson at like 1, we'd leave at 4, you're back by dinner. Like, there's so many weird things that we did that we would never have done in the past. Do you get snow days in the district? They give you a ski week mid-February, which is kind of interesting. I think they shorten one of, like, maybe maybe Thanksgiving. That's built into the school schedule? A ski week? They call it a ski week. They basically shorten... They shorten one of the other ho- holiday weeks, so I think maybe it's maybe it's Christmas week is sh- is short by a week, and then they give it to you in February. They call it a ski week, but I don't know. We didn't use it for skiing, so we would just go after school on Fridays a lot. Um, it's like yeah, those opportunities are cool. We we've been to South Lake Tahoe for like lunch, mm-hmm. leave at nine, get there by eleven, you know back home by five yeah that's that's a dream man that's like it's a lot of work when you have kids that's right that's still there's some romance in there too it's pretty cool let's go to the lake yeah lunch but now we're an hour and 15 though from you know an hour and 15 up to the snow that's that's pretty amazing right so you've talked about blending into new communities or Mm -hmm. you know building a new community um different activities out in the region uh sacramento the broader Sacramento area, yeah. the greater Sac area. Yeah. Um, so those are some similarities and differences. Like, how would you compare if, if I came from out of this area, out of state, and I asked you, should I live in the Bay Area or should I live in Sacramento? How would you sell me on one versus the other? Think about it, Matt. Yeah, man, I don't know if I could. <laughs> how do they compare? How are they different? You know? No, I want. I want to know what which city are you promoting? Are you like <laughs> this? Wow. Is what we're getting to? Yeah. <laughs> are you saying, "Oh, you need to move out to Sac because this is what you have," or well, because I'm from the Bay, live here? You know, what there's I mean? no wrong answer here, brother. Yeah, I just want to know what your but you your said view something is. to me about comparing the different regions in Sacramento versus mm-hmm. the different regions out here. Right? Yeah, that they're comparable. They're very comparable. So Folsom feels like Walnut Creek to me, like bigger you've got uh new construction you've got the historic downtown you've got like their their mall if you will eldorado hills feels like more like an alamo to me like super small you're either retired or you're a family there's no real young professionals there um except for you except for us i'm gonna i'm gonna help him out here because that, that question is hard to answer in his situation because two and a half years of it were impacted by the pandemic yeah. So he doesn't have a fair comparison. True. But I will put you on the spot. <laughs> now that you've had the experience of both the East Bay San Ramon, that greater region, and El Dorado Hills, who has the better food scene? Oh. That's easy. That's the Bay. Yeah. There you go. I mean, That's my guy. And why? And why? Why? It's just more to offer, more culture. Uh, I mean, different ethnic foods, right? Like, yeah. I just think it's... When you come to the Bay, like, we are excited to come to eat, mm-hmm. you know? Like, we're excited to go to our old restaurants, try new restaurants, go to downtown Walnut Creek. I don't think Fol- Folsom and Elder Road Hills isn't there yet. Let's get granular there, though. So, Mexican food or taquerias, for example. There's a lot of chains. I'm going to Concord. I mean, I haven't done, like I said, I haven't done a ton of exploring in Sacramento itself. Right. But... Yeah, if I want good Mexican, I'm coming to Concord. Sushi, for example. So the good sushi there is Makuni. Makuni's, man. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to... Dude, who are you rooting for? Over the- I'm, I'm a Makuni's fan, bro. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, Makuni's everywhere up there. That's where he, you know. That's where the, the dude is. Yeah. But, I mean, Amakara in Dublin is, is the spot for sushi. What place? Amakara. Amakara. I'm about to try that. Let's go back to activities, though, because you rattled off, like, so many activities that you can do, and you're close to Tahoe. Where does that rank for oh, you then I, now? Yeah, there. I'd say yeah. overall, with kids and lifestyle, I'm going to pick El Dorado Hills. I, I don't even think that's close. I, I'd pick El yeah, Dorado Hills, too. I mean, I mean if you're an hour and 15 from Tahoe. It's still an hour and a half from here. Like, I still come down once a week to yeah. meet business partners and clients and... So yeah, it's like it's still yeah, not far. Right. 
But he's got lake access. He's got biking trails. Yeah. Um, again, an hour and 15 at Tahoe. So it, it, it's not that. I mean, that we part haven't even been on a lake yet as a family, on, like on a boat. No, right? he's getting like, a boat next. No, I'm no. not getting a boat. But, I mean, that's just like one thing that we haven't even done yet that people are obsessed with up there. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting a boat, guys. <laughs> it's it's coming soon. Yeah. We we know this. Actually, we, we have somebody that just that got a boat, and we're like, "Why'd you get a boat?" He isn't even close to water. <laughs> no, it's it's, but it's a pontoon. Even oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. Devalue his boat. If it, if it could get on the water, is that it's devaluing boat. it, or is it just calling it? No, water? The way you said it, you condescendingly said it's a pontoon. It's just a pontoon. <laughs> um, actually, I want to go back to something you were talking about. You were sharing uh, a story, like a kind of a poignant moment um, in your work, um, helping someone. Uh, because Harold promised not to make another guest cry, and then it sounded like we were almost going to another tearjerker moment there. Um, but you, know, you were talking about you know someone who who'd been injured, and you, you helped them through a refinance, right? Yeah, uh, refi cash out. Mm-hmm. Um, how often do you have those moments in what you do? That one was really serious because you like I'd say financially they were hanging on like a lifeline um there's been a couple where it's like when you totally like bail someone out or um maybe they're getting like evicted or divorce there are some that are i'd probably say like three times a year mm-hmm. yeah yeah i'm thinking about another one i have one where a client again this is this is tricky but they were Staying legally, they're staying married, but they were completely separated. And the only reason they didn't finalize the divorce is because his uh, his ex-wife was going through trial treatment you know, for Parkinson's. So he needed, she needed his benefits, right? So <clears throat> this was through COVID. So she was going through uh, trial treatment. They stayed together so she could get his benefits, but they both were completely separated. I talked to both of them. They both have moved on, new partners, everything. So we we did a refinance for her when rates were super good so she could kind of um, go through her treatments, really not have to worry about her mortgage payment as much. He co-signed, right, because she didn't have any income. He co-signed, no problem. Well, 11 months, which is, again, like super sweet story that he would hang on and do that for her Mm he went to buy his uh, a new house 11 months later with his fiance and it was it was rough right because from an underwriter perspective what's this other house you have that says you're owner occupied that says you have a wife Mm -hmm. and then you have a new application with somebody else So you have to unravel, unfortunately. Sometimes you have to unravel, like, personal details and, like, explain it, like, prove, like, he was actually renting. Here's his rental history. They're completely separated. And, like, they both had to write letters, which is weird, right, to a stranger, to a bank or to an entity explaining your your personal relationship. And that, you know, everything is above board. He's not trying to own two properties owner-occupied, right? Because... um, if it's technically you have one property owner occupied, if you go to buy another one, it's considered investment property. Right. Harder qualifications, rates higher, right? So we had to prove to the underwriter in like a very short amount of time that the sellers gave us that this was legit and he was truly trying to buy a new home and, and move on. But stuff like that where you're like really solid dude doing a good thing kind of has to explain his like whole life to a stranger. That that stuff kind of sucks. Yeah, that's yeah. tough. But um, yeah, like looking back, that's one of the stories where I'm like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he would subject himself to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna say just from hearing some of your stories and getting to know you here for the time we've had you here, you've made it on a lot of Christmas cards for your clients. A couple, yeah. It's it's rare. It's. Uh, I even get surprised if we get like a thank you gift. I'm still surprised because hmm. it is kind of like um, some people still think of it as like selling a loan. Like we're trying to talk you into it. 
I don't feel that way. I feel like I'm providing a service. Um, so yeah, it is pretty cool when you get the Christmas card or like the unexpected gift. It like yeah. blows my mind still. I'm like, because for the most part, it's pretty thankless. It's like you're just a necessary part of the transaction to get mm. the keys. Yeah. So, but you know, there's some clients who stick with you longer than others. So yeah. And you've been doing this for about eight years, you said? Eight years. Yeah. So with that being said, what are your future plans for your second half of yeah. of this? Um, it's funny. I went to, I go to a lot of mastermind events for video content and mortgage. And I was in this like small group and everyone else was running a team. And these were guys who were in the business, um, I guess, less time than I have been in it. And they were all like leading teams. And I kind of like had a moment where I'm like, why not me? Like, I've been doing this longer. I feel like I do it for the right reasons. I partnered with a company who's all about transparency and providing the best that we can truly find. Um, So like, why not me? So second half is we just hired, uh, I just hired my first junior loan officer on Monday. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Great move. So found her... um, through like a Facebook group asking questions, just been helping her out over the last year and just let her decide. I didn't recruit her, just let her decide like, hey, I'm here to help. I made it very clear, like if you're ever ready for a move, I would love to have that opportunity. Um, and so she joined us on Monday. So I think over time, like helping people through kind of what I've been through, like needing that help and guidance. I mean, I remember like not knowing how many pages were part of a tax return. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's just some stuff you just have to learn the hard way. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to help those who are in the same position I've been where it's like, I want to do this job for the right reasons, but no one teaches this job or I can't remember someone who's like, I want to grow up and be a mortgage broker. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's no serious. That's real time. (laughs) It's kind of like you get an opportunity through someone, you know, but like it's never a job people dream about or seek so it's nice to provide guidance to those who want to do it what, what, what do you what do you say to your kids when they ask what you do so my my son is eight and i think at like five i told him that's your oldest mm-hmm, my oldest is eight um i told him i help people get money to buy a house just made it really simple yeah and repeated it like do you know what i do he's like you help people get money to buy a house. So that's what he knows I do. Yeah. It's funny. My parents, it's this like running joke is um, my parents didn't have a big financial background, especially my dad. Um, for the longest time, I would like I would do open houses with realtors on the weekends. And my, every time like my parents would come and visit and stay, my dad would be like, go sell some houses. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still says that to this day. Yeah. Same thing with my grandparents. They're like, how many houses did you sell? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, my son knows. My oldest does. Yeah. You know, speaking pers- from, from personal experience as someone who's been through this a few times, um, I- I'm kind of there with you with, with your job being a thankless job to a degree. Because realtors are usually the ones that are taking the time or have more face time. Yep. But as someone who's been through the process a few times, I mean, nothing happens without buying power. And you don't get that buying power without having a really good loan agent. So I'm going to thank you on behalf of everyone that have <laughs> well, forgotten to thank you. Well, I, I want to thank you personally because we've worked together. Yeah. And, you know, I had a great realtor, uh, but I was in a unique situation um, after I bought my first home, but then I needed to sell it pretty quickly and find a new home. Um, and so we interacted in terms of like, you know, what were the boundaries of how I could do that mm-hmm. in a short amount of time uh, with, and, you know, I had a goal that, you know, because at the time the rates were higher than what I'm locked in at now, like I had a goal, like I, I want to make this feasible for me and my family, my daughter at the time, right? And you yeah. helped significantly. In fact, you stayed with me through a period where we were able to take advantage of refining at a, his, you know, I didn't get it at the bottom, but a historically low rate, right? So, you know, I, I think what's great, so thank you. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you do. It isn't thankless. Um, 
and hearing the stories that you're sharing, you know, it sounds to me like it's more than just you helping people, you know, buy a home as you tell your son. So I kind of want to maybe hear from you, like when you go to bed at night and you think about how you're going to wake up in the morning, like what do you tell yourself that you're doing to get you up in the morning? I mean, it's it's that, I don't know, it's like a saying where people say, um, like I hold myself accountable to them versus like myself. So I know like, especially when it comes to like hiring someone, right? Like I'm now I'm like, I want to be on even more to help her. Right. I want to be on to help the client or the realtor. Like that's always been like the drivers to like, make sure I don't let those sometimes they're strangers, like make sure I don't let them down. Um, yeah. I remember the first deal I screwed up and I wouldn't say I screwed up. I just didn't know any better. Right. So I'll tell you this story. Mm-hmm. I was given a, I was given a loan my first year in the business and it was, it was pretty complicated. A son was co-signing for his mother. His mother was a preschool teacher. He worked at a gas station. Um, they got into, they got a down payment assistance program, right? And they qualified on paper. Everything looked good. An underwriter at some point came up and was like, his documents don't make any sense. He, on his application, he filled out single and on all of his financial documents. So tax returns uh, and pay stubs, right? Say your withholdings, you say married, which is he? So you have to go back to the client and say, um, you know, the underwriter has, you know, these questions about your, are you single? Are you married? What's the story? And he's like, well, I'm in an arranged marriage in India. It's not recognized here. So I'm single. Hmm. So we like wrote a letter, explained it. And the underwriter looked at it and was like, no, he's still married. Like an arranged marriage is a marriage. He's still married. So in order to get this, we're pretty far in the process. In order to close on this loan, we need his wife to sign off on the loan documents and the title to the house. And so that's basically what killed the deal. I came back to him and I said, hey, we, you know, we're going to need your your wife in India to sign off on these documents. Sign off that he's single. <laughs> not that he's no, single. That they're not. He, he, she needed to sign also, right? Yeah, because in oh, California, it's a community property state. So if yeah. you're married, what's hers is yours. yours and vice versa, right? So we had to have her sign off on the title. It's called a quick claim deed saying that he's That's allowed right. to buy property on his own. And also you have to sign the loan estimate. Uh, it's called the closing disclosure. Basically, it's the last estimate you get before you can... Uh, close on the loan. So he came back and said, if she has to sign anything, I'm not co-signing for my mom. So that killed the deal. Mm-hmm. And it was like three weeks into a four-week deal. Wow. So This is your first deal or one of your first deals? One of my first deals ever. So what, what happened and then what did you learn? Um, that you have to like question discrepancies on applications. And even though it's uncomfortable, like, there's a reason to it, right? Like California rule of community property. Um, and so, yeah, that left like a burn because the realtor, I didn't know him, but he knew my mentor and he called me up after we, you know, he client said he's not doing the deal. No one's signing like deals over. And he calls me up and he's like, I just want to tell you one thing. And I was like, what? He's like, you really fucked this up. <laughs> and I was like that, like, again, I was like, you know, brand new didn't know any better but like that burned to the part where i'm like i never want that call again yeah so that was a different type of thank you (laughs) yeah yeah i've never told that story but you gotta go through that though sometimes unfortunately this is like the problem most people who get into loans have is you have to fail a lot to succeed and you're Mm -hmm. failing on other people's finances that part sucks. So it is important when you go into it to find a mentor or someone who's done it for a long time and not someone who did it in like the 2000s, someone who did it like post 2009, mm-hmm. who's doing it at a high level. That's the big thing. Because again, like had my mentor, like if I showed her what the underwriter was talking about, she would have like flagged it much earlier than like I was being strung along by the borrower being like, I'm not married. 
I'm not, it's not recognized here. And I, I go back and fight for him and like, you know, tell, tell the underwriter the same stuff. Like you can't, there's no marriage license. You can't prove it. It's like, it says married on his pay stubs. It says married on his tax returns. Like mm. one or the other. So that's the type of wisdom that you're going to now be able to take yeah. part on, you know, this new yeah. hire, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. they haven't gone through that burn, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so we talked about that. We talked about the other day. She was like, do I need the tax return? She's a salary employee. And I'm like, you need them because you don't know what's on there. That could kill the deal. Not so much like, sure, maybe we don't need them, but you don't know what's on there until you see them. Right. So that's why people get frustrated. Like, I have to supply all this paperwork. It's like, yeah, but we don't know what's on there. Like, that could hurt you or make you not qualify or make sure. you not afford the payment. So... Oh yeah. Bay vibes with a whole lot of laughs. Kicking knowledge on the new podcast. Dad vibes, but we run it with glass. Listen up, show love, homie. It's the second half. Yeah, it's the second half. Hey, it's the second half. Kicking knowledge on the new podcast. Listen up, show love, homie. It's the second half. It's a frustration everyone has supplying their finances or documents, but it's necessary. Yeah, but when you really think of the big picture, I mean, there's just they're applying for a bank to give them this, you know, significant loan. I mean, this isn't a ten thousand. It's not even a car loan. You know what I mean? It's something. Yeah, yeah. That's at least fifteen to thirty years. Yeah, it's a significant loan. So I. I, for one, can see why I need to convince them that I'm worthy of this loan. You said something there, though, in terms of a period, 2000 to 2009. Yeah. Could you briefly explain what the differences are? Because I I think we all know what happened during that period, but what the differences are between that period and now. Yeah. Um, I got into 2014, so I don't know, like, business practices pre-2014. But from what I understand is that there wasn't an underwriter or a risk manager looking at, like, can they afford the monthly payment? You also had, uh, I'd say, maybe loan brokers or loan agents who didn't understand the products they were selling. They were just telling people, hey, this program will get you in the house. This program will get you the keys. And I think, you know. If you're an opportunist or you just or believe in home ownership, which most people do, like you want the keys. So you don't pay attention to like the details on the loan. And you're trusting someone is giving you a safe deal. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's completely different, right? Like not only do we collect a ton of paperwork, but we send it through basically two types of underwriting. There's actually an automated underwriting through our computer system. We can't even take it to an underwriter unless we get an approval there. For the most part, there's always exceptions, but then we go to an underwriter who looks at the finances, looks at the application, runs audits on the clients, um, runs audits on the property, right? So the process is a is a lot more, and it's become a lot more expensive. There's, uh, I think, part of the problem back then was like the appraisals, right? They would just say everything is at value. Now there's like third parties who who sub out appraisers to do the job. So I can't even talk to an appraiser. I have to order three order an appraisal through a third party, which it's just through a computer ordering system. And they sub it out. Um, we can't have any influence, or they really frown upon communication unless there's like some sort of discrepancy when the report comes back. We can ask them some questions. Just like, you know, where they found the comps or things like that. But it's completely different. It takes a little bit longer. It's a little bit more expensive for the client because every third party involved takes a, a fee, mm-hmm. right? So I would say the fees on loans are probably more expensive than they used to be just because there's so many hands in the pot and audits involved and reports involved. Credit reports now are like $65 per person, right? right? So it adds up. 
So um, there's a lot more. Yeah, there's compliance. We have to go through licensing, um, education. We have minimum 20 hours a year to do on continuing education. We have to maintain a, a good license. Um, I don't think any of that existed before. Sure. So, so it sounds, you know, to, to summarize that, it sounds like the industry has really learned from that and it's a more responsible industry now. Absolutely. I'd say like heavily regulated too on all fronts. Like audits, like every every company has a pretty heavy compliance department. Um, everything from like your marketing, how you turn loans in, how they get sold off secondary markets. Yeah, a lot more eyes. So, so dovetailing on kind of changes, how the industry changes, right? Um, and then on what you... You touched on earlier also around um, you know, just educating people mm-hmm. um, to make the best financial decision that they can for themselves. Um, can you share for like folks who are listening, like what are some great resources that you use to stay up to date on what's going on, like kind of the pulse of um, the market, interest rates, you know, uh, opportunities, or some resources that you share like what do you do to educate people um maybe touch on that it's tough to say because all the stuff we look at is like kind of the minutia of like the bond market where interest rates are going what banks are doing um as far as like resources there's a lot of good resources have come out recently about buying property and home ownership i think the biggest one is like bigger pockets they have a podcast and books and mm-hmm. uh, YouTube channels. Um, I mean, there's some great influencers on YouTube who talk a lot about home ownership programs. I think YouTube might be like the greatest source of information because you have like real estate and mortgage creators now who are doing news in like real time, right? We get all like the industry publications and we read those and we have like subscriptions to these like channels that tell us where rates are going to be for the day uh you know whether we should lock our clients or float um float just means not lock um but yeah i'd say i mean i'd go with like bigger pockets as far as home ownership goes um that's probably like the best source of comprehensive information about buying real estate yeah From running all the courts, SF to the town. Dad pause, now we just running our mouths. Barbershop talk, rocking the spot. Got you thinking these opinions all coming in hot. Lifelong bond has the convos flow. Time just goes, constant growth. Straight from the base, spreading knowledge and laughs. Listen up, show love, homie, it's the second half.